Hey, welcome, 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 listeners. Here we are today, another day of your greatest show. This show is all about you. We want to help you regain control within the chaos of life and your business. Today's guest understands chaos like none other. His name is Brett Nix, and Brett is a loving husband and father first. He's a practicing emergency physician, educator, administrator, and transformational leader in healthcare. You can probably see where this is going. He has worked and taught in more than 15 countries worldwide, helped to establish the first full-capacity emergency medicine training program and department in East Africa back in 2010, and recognized the need for dedicated leadership training for clinicians and administrators in these environments. He served as chief medical officer for almost a decade within the Wake Forest Baptist Health System, transforming two different community medical centers, one which is routinely recognized as one of the best hospitals in the country. He's passionate about the interface of leadership and organizational culture and how that dramatically impacts response within crisis. He currently serves as the founding director for Wake Forest Masters of Healthcare Leadership Program along with his clinical duties. So Brett, there's a question I'm gonna get to in a second. Most would think I'm going there right away. But I'm going to start with this. How in the world do you accomplish so much in such what seems to be a short time frame? Well, I think that the uh, the natural tendency is everyone says you must not sleep, uh, and I think that I find that the reality is is that sleep is the uh, the basis of many things, uh, and also your passion. Uh, for me, I am passionate about change and about serving other people. Uh, and like yourself, if I'm able to bring value to an individual in a situation of crisis or on a day to day basis. Uh, you step into that, and the, the beauty in that is you identify the future leaders in those spaces such that you can light the fire under them, you, you, you lift them up, you engage them, uh, and very soon you have that future leader who's stepping into that space, running the show, navigating it, and there's no better way to, uh, to step out of a job than to create one for someone else, and in doing so, you're able to proliferate into these spaces, and that's why if you look at the attributes that you've talked about, I can tell you the number of people that were alongside me to make those things happen. And I can tell you the people that now carry the torch in those areas that are able to move it forward in a way that I never could. And so really it's, a, it's about that dialogue and, and the ability to navigate that dichotomy as a leader. Oh man, I love that. There's a quote I read uh, recently by Peter Drucker. There is no success without a successor. And uh, just right along the line, and I hear you speak about your passion for people, uh, your passion for just to see people grow as individuals, which we talk about leadership and culture, I, I, I need to properly step back and say thank you for being willing to invest in our listeners, this group of people, because um, we all can learn from each other. We all can learn to grow. But we are talking, literally, the, the recording time of this is right at two years ago, 2020, our world changed in a major, major way as we started entering what we now know as lockdowns and all kinds of other conversational pieces. Um, we can call it chaos. Most people know it as COVID. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I really would like to talk into, ju just dive right into this a little bit of every industry, every business owner that's listening, every leader that's, that's listening, we all had to endure some major change, some major adjustments and crisis within our industries. But in my opinion, healthcare 
I'm not sure any, any industry could have been impacted at a greater level. So can you just maybe walk us through what two years ago looked like in your space? Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. If you think back to late December 20, gosh, what would have been 2019, right before 2020. Uh, for those of us in the healthcare in area, we heard of this, you know, this new outbreak that was occurring in Wuhan, China. And uh, people like myself that always have a, 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 an eye and an ear toward the global environment recalled the SARS outbreak from 2003. And of course, many of us remember from 2010, H1N1 that came across the swine flu. So this one comes out and it's in the same area that SARS came out back in 2003. And the question that many of us were saying when we first looked at it is, how far is it gonna go? Uh, and is this just gonna be another SARS where it stays in you know, the subcontinent Asia and, and navigating in that space? And by early January, we recognized that not only was it not going to be isolated to China, but it hit South Korea, it hit Taiwan, it started to move in a disposition and location that was different than anything else that we had seen. And you know, for, for many of the listeners, regardless of your industry as an executive, this coronavirus pandemic was a crisis unlike anything that you've seen, hands down, from like you said, supply chain or anything else, but within the healthcare industry, Part of it was anticipation. Part of it was, reg was recognition that, oh, it might not get here. It's so far away. But what we've recognized and, and distinctly different than any of the, the previous issues is that we are such a global economy. We are such a, a, a integrated um, process from healthcare that you're one flight away from transmission. And once we started to recognize that and we started to see these areas of outbreaks going, the recognition is those outbreaks were probably there earlier than we knew because we didn't have the testing capacity mm -hmm. to the degree that we did, let alone the awareness of it. So let me peel back the onion as it relates, because here I am at that point, I'm a chief medical officer at one of our medical centers. And I sit down with the president of the hospital and I say, listen, I said, I hope that I am wrong. I said, but our entire landscape is about ready to change. And are you willing to trust me enough to respond to it? And his response was, if you think this is something we need to be ready for, then what is it that you're asking? And so it's a small medical center, um, but it is a hospital that is dedicated to joints and hip replacement. It's a dedicated hospital for uh, adult uh, medical care populations um, and does exceedingly well around the concept of the culture of care. Everybody is engaged and navigating. And so we said, hey, what are the things that we know in technology that we can change now that will protect our teams uh, first? Because if our teams are protected, we can prepare for our patients. And so we implemented things that we didn't ask permission in the system per se, just within our own environment. And we put in things that changed the air handling systems, integrated UV systems, all of our rooms that we call negative pressure rooms that protect uh, not just the patient, but protect the, protect the provider by cycling that air out and preventing it from being around you. We put in secondary processes with additional UV boxes and things like that, not to give you a tan, uh, but to go ahead and protect you. And we also then started to say, what is our current run rate for our surgical masks and for our, our next step N95s? Let's go ahead and get a year's purchasing power behind that and have that in stock beforehand. This is back in early January before it was ever in the U.S., before we started to see any, any process related to that. You know, and the challenge here was the first step was recognizing that we were going to face a crisis. And if not, the things that we were doing were still of value for our teams, but we needed to act now. Uh, and what we realized early on, even before we started to see the first case in the U.S., 
and this is probably true for anybody that's listening in, in your issue is, is there going to be a crisis that we're going to face in the future? And the answer is always yes. The question is, you don't be, you should not be paranoid by it, but you should be prepared. You should have courage. You should ask yourself, what is the greater value proposition for my organization, for my team? And how does that relate to, for us, the patients or whomever you define as your end customer? And in doing so, if you recognize the crisis as such, the important thing is, what are you going to do to respond? Oh, my goodness. There, there's so much into that. So the key, the key to crisis, I guess, is trying to plan in advance, right? Uh, at least looking at the risk and, and believing the risk could happen. So my background's in the security industry. I, I've uh, Most of my career has been in a, a account management and leadership role when it comes to helping companies prepare to protect their assets and their people. Right. And it actually has a name and I forget what it's called in the moment, but um, I call it the, oh, it'll never happen to me syndrome. <laughs> we, we tend to think that this stuff can happen out in the world, but it's only going to happen to other people. It would never get to me. And and even honestly, I think sometimes as Americans, we tend, we, we have this arrogance about us that, oh, this virus is going to hit every other country across the world, but it'll never affect us. Mm-hmm. So at what level, I guess, how do you train yourself to move beyond the it'll never happen to me mentality and take that risk? Because I, I think that's the struggle. It's it's a risk. You could have been wrong as well. You know, that's a great question. I think this this lands on a classic leadership dichotomy. How do you be how can you be proactive uh, at the same time, knowing that you still have to have some level of reactivity to it? And when are you being too proactive? and stalling things out because of, of, of fear. And if fear is driving it, that's one thing. If opportunity is driving it, that might be another. You know, and that's the, the circumstance that we're looking at, which is you know, when, when you are that leader and you are um, in a situation that you anticipate, or maybe even during that crisis, it's not a predefined response plan, right? Yes, it's good to have a preparation and have a mindset that, hey, if we have a fire in our building, this is how we exit. This is where we meet to be safe. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this preconceived concept around mindsets and behaviors that keep you in check and in balance, which is, am I overreacting? And do you have a, a, a process or a sounding board of a team around you to say, am I overreacting? If I am not overreacting, what will the endpoint look like? And if I am overreacting, what safeguards do we have in place to make sure that if something like this occurs again, that I am protecting the organization, the teams, and everything else that I have in place. You know, it's one of these balancing acts that you will vacillate back and forth in, and you have to go ahead and do an asset assessment related to what are the risks that I'm trying to mitigate. You know, and in COVID, the situation is, if what we see in these other countries comes, this is not subtle. This is a tsunami. This is not like stepping back to Ebola a few years ago, knowing that, hey, we're going to have a patient come in, and we're going to have a trickling of these individuals that may leave West Africa and show up in the U.S. like we saw in Dallas and like we saw in Atlanta. They're very small numbers. We get very concerned, but the transmissibility is very small pocket associated. Very, very different than what we see in this pandemic stage. And so you have to ask yourself when you look at this, what is the risk that I'm trying to avoid? I think there was another big part in there, um, and that was the involvement of other people. Yeah. I think the biggest danger we have, quite frankly, is we get so locked up in our own brains and, and thinking that we are right. And, and in most cases, we believe we're right, quite frankly. Uh, but we get to thinking so much that we're right that we uh, don't take the other perspectives in. 
So I'm going to, I'm going to shift it. You know, a lot of the listeners are business owners. A lot of them are small business owners and they don't have teams around them. So here you are. I'm kind of taking their approach. It must be nice to be a part of a hospital system that has a team for you and all these great minds to really uh, bounce things upon. But what do I do? I'm a guy that just, I feel alone half the time and, and I'm just barely managing things. Do you have any insights about how we can build a team around us when maybe we don't have a team? Boy, that's a great question. I think that what you'll find is in the vast majority of these crisis situations, you, regardless of what your team is, you have a network of individuals that are now asked to carry out responses outside of their normal operations, right? So even in a healthcare environment, everything that we did had to change. And so unless somebody had experience from a global environment, perhaps, or maybe somebody had uh, been in operations related to H1N1, um, you step in with expertise, but it's based on a past experience that may or may not even apply. And so even though you might have these great minds, regardless of what your business is, it's the adjustments around the routine business activities that you have to ask the question. And in those certain in those situations, uncertainty, as you point out, is paramount. You may not know the answer. You can sit down with your group and you can surmise, hey, what might this look like? And no one will necessarily have the exact answer. It may be that you're better mobilizing within your organization to identify maybe clear priorities and a response if something should arise. Uh, and maybe it's, hey, in the interim time, let's go ahead and look at what it is that we're producing or what it is that we're providing and parallel along with that opportunity, or it may have to go ahead and be pulled back into a different perspective. But that being said, I think what it comes down to is as a, as a leader in this environment, one of the things we have to recognize more than anything else is that you're, you surround yourself with a network of teams, recognizing you as a leader don't have the answer and should not be expected to, but you have to articulate that you do not. And that as part of the team, the goal is to kind of come alongside of each other to ensure that the issues are being discussed and that the value of collaboration will allow for what I call a deliberate calm in your organization. Absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking out loud in my own head. I, I think it's so easy to live in isolation uh, in our busyness of life that we forget to be intentional about just putting mm -hmm. some people around us. Yeah. Just some people that we trust and respect. And, you know, they don't always have to be brilliant minds. I've learned that uh, sometimes people who we don't necessarily see as brilliant minds come out with some absolute brilliant stuff. Absolutely. And so just surrounding yourself with good quality people we trust is, is uh, a big deal. So I had a question here, and I think we've answered a little bit. It's if you could list the top two or three things that kept everyone going. Mm. And maybe wow. we didn't get to that question. I think we got to how you prepared and how, how your preparation um, maybe minimalized the effects of, of, of the actual crisis that we were in. But how'd you keep people going? I mean, this thing, we all thought it was going to be over in a couple months. Then it went to six months, then a year. Here we are two years later. And I would say just coming to a point where people are, are, are letting their guard down a bit. So how'd you keep it going? You know, that's a great question. I can think back to um, 2020, probably March of 2020. That was when we were in the waves that already hits the Seattle Kirkland area. That's with the, one of the big epicenters early on. Uh, you saw it in New York City, and you were like, okay, this is the calm before the storm. You know, it's coming, uh, and we were anticipating it. And the challenge is 
for many, for, for anybody, regardless of your organization, the question to you is, what is the quality of your organizational structure right now? And I'm not talking about a matrix. I'm not talking about a hierarchy. I'm talking about the organizational process that, of course, you and I have talked about before that Simon Sinek has coined, the why. You know, why does your organization exist? And can people embrace that? Do they believe in it? And if they do, there's something that is inherently present within the leaders that are there, that they are engaged, they are excited and passionate about their teams and about the direction. And when uncertainty steps in, fear typically takes over. And if you can articulate and you can speak through fear uh, to let them know, these are the things that we're anticipating. This is what I'm doing to keep you safe. This is the value of what I'm doing for uh, our end customer, for us, our patients. This is how we're getting prepared. Let them know of the plans that are in place and the contingencies. If this happens, we perceive we may need to do this. If this happens, we're gonna do this. But throughout all of this, you go back to that why. And if you can articulate that, I think you can navigate uh, through a lot of these crises, especially if it's a temporal one. Now, with COVID, it was unparalleled. And the duration, we're still navigating you know, down the Omicron window as we speak right now. But one of the things that we did at the medical center that I was at uh, was to embrace around all the medical center employees and more importantly, the leaders of each of the teams. And this could have been environmental services, this could be housekeeping, this could be all of these different folks. What we did is to say, hey, for the next 40 days, every single day, uh, I want someone to volunteer to go ahead and share uh, a point of optimism. You know, mm. whether, that's, whether that's a moment of gratitude, whether that's something, something that you wanna share about what is unique about this environment that supports other people. Uh, and we call it the 40 days of Davy. Uh, and what we found is we started it and within about a week, that was when our wave hit. Uh, mm. And it was a galvanizing force within our organization where people shared uh, optimism out of their why for the organization that then gave fodder for everyone else to believe in that process because they felt supported. And each individual said things that spoke heavily to them and we shared that across the enterprise. We shared that on you know, billboards within, we send it by emails for those who had been navigated to a virtual presence. Uh, and then for those that were working clinically, uh, we shared that at the change of shifts so they could watch these. And all of these basically uh, were either small reads or small little videos that someone put together. Uh, and for us, that was tremendous because that got us through the first wave. But that's my point, it was only the first wave. And we actually subsequently put it in a, a small booklet or a book for everyone and the, the goal was, hey, when you are starting to feel that you just can't navigate this anymore, uh, we want you to look back at this and, and see where that where your encouragement came from. See where, where, you, where you're starting to, to, to shift. And these are individuals who are sharing this. If somebody, what they said aligns with a concern or aligns with what you need to hear, reach out to them uh, and, and, and create, really foster that. And it depends on your organizational size. It depends on your organizational structure. But what we found is, because we had really established a strong culture of care in our environment, people were willing, number one, to step up. I had more people than I knew what to do with. We could have called it 120 days, but we mm -hmm. selected 40 to go ahead and get us, we thought, through that first wave, and it did, and it set a foundation in place for each subsequent wave that came through to say, hey, let's go ahead and go back to what we know that allows us to focus on our why, and yes, we're here to support your family. Yes, we're here to support you, and oh, by the way, it came alongside people who you know, their people had to be furloughed because of, of expense issues and all kinds of stuff. But what that allowed us to is as people were on furlough, we still reached out to them and, and, and the team became a family. Culture. You said you're a man of culture. That 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 speaks to, to culture, which sometimes we 
we tend to overlook because as leaders, it sounds fluffy. Yeah. We had a crisis to deal with. We had people who were sick. We had people to to fix and heal. And we had loved ones to 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 share bad news with who didn't get to experience the, those last moment. I mean, this was tragic stuff. You guys had your hands full. Who has time for culture, Brett? Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, it's one of these things where some people call it a moment of mindfulness, right? There's something to be said about the ability to pause and to assess and anticipate and then to act. And you know what? One thing we didn't ever downplay was we had to deal with human tragedy on a daily basis. You know, that became a priority. And in healthcare, some people are well trained for that. I'm in emergency medicine. We see it on a daily basis, a different type of tragedy than just COVID per se. Uh, but that doesn't make it any easier. And that doesn't mean that when, at the end of the day, at the end of your shift, that you are not emotionally, psychologically, socially spent, uh, let alone the, the uh, intellectual properties and process that you have to go through. And so that gets back to what you talked about before, which is, you know, are you surrounding yourself with those that can demonstrate empathy uh, as a leader and a part of your leadership team, but then remain open themselves to have empathy, not just for others, but to remain attentive to your own well-being. And that is really the balancing act in crisis. It's one thing to pour into your team and to allow them to understand that, hey, you know what, I'm going to empathize alongside of you. But as a leader, what are you doing to ensure that you are navigating the stress, the fatigue, the uncertainty that builds in any crisis uh, and ensuring that you have navigated uh, a checkpoint for your own well-being? I... Uh... I just love that. Um, I really feel like when you get into leadership and you really, I would say meet a lot of different leaders. We have some who are so focused on getting the job done yeah. that they forget about the human. And then honestly, there's the other set. And I probably lean more toward this other set. I'm so focused on the human relationship and caring about the individual that sometimes I'm like, oh man, I, this, this is falling apart over here. How would you speak to, or, or maybe what advice would you give to someone on how to effectively balance performance and people? Because wow. I think that's hard. Yeah. But no it's kidding. also, in my opinion, that is the definition of an amazing leader. Yeah, boy, I think it, it it vacillates moment to moment, person to person, situation to situation. I don't know that there's a, a definitive answer other than for those who haven't had a chance, maybe you know, maybe you've talked about this before, there's a, a great book called The Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Wunk, and he just talks about it. And yes, most of the things are from a Navy SEAL perspective, but the application in any business environment is tremendous. And it is a step away from his extreme ownership concept to say, you know what, that's probably too much. We need to find this vacillation in these things. And, you know, to be able to balance the, the, the job side and the relational side is a point of matter, which for me many times is borrowed on all of these wonderful minds and leadership that, that we talk about. Uh, you know, the, the Jim Collins of the world, the Patrick Lencioni's of the world, John Maxwell's and others, which is, there's times where you have to cast direction so people know where they're going. And if your why is in place, that's a start culturally, but you still have to cast because in every crisis, you may be re-navigating direction. But once a direction is clear, then you have to ensure, just like any good leader, that you're moving beyond level one leadership, that it's beyond the title, that you're building those relationships and ensuring that you have these checkpoints. Because the checkpoints are not just to ensure that your teams are doing well, 
but your teams need to know that there's a level of transparency uh, for you so that they can see, number one, uh, that this isn't false leadership, that you're just not stepping out of bravado and not knowing a direction, but just kind of go ahead and course through this. But that there, if there is a process around a thoughtful, frequent communication that allows your teams to understand the situation and then in these crises, that it, it is adjusting continuously. Think about the things that teams stepped into, everyone that's listening on this podcast. What did you do in, in the preparation early stages of COVID? What did you do several months into COVID? What did you do a year into COVID? Each of these things are maybe re-navigating a trajectory or a course. That is the leadership side. But that follows directly then with the communication and the relational side, which is, hey, how are my teams doing now six months into this? How has their lives changed now that all their kids have been home, homeschooling? Uh, or that the, the processes that, that brought joy to them on a daily basis uh, have disappeared. Uh, what are they doing to navigate this? And how do you breathe life into your teams, recognizing at the same point in time, you're holding them in, in a direction for the organization. But at the same point in time, you also have to reach into their humanity to make sure that you're finding that balance. Absolutely. I uh, Actually, I think it was just today, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, about strategy um, and the difference between and, and this particular person kind of in a situ cast and the tactical is how you accomplish the why and so to me I kind of see the balance come in that too and then the con mm -hmm. continual communication honestly back and forth yeah because it does go back and forth um if I could, as we're nearing time being up already, these, these shows fly, um, leadership in general, regardless of the industry, we talked about a lot of different things today, but if I forced your hand and said, give me the three bullet points hmm. to be successful in crisis, what bullet points would you say you'll have a good chance if one, two, three? Wow. Three bullet points specific to crisis leadership. Um, I think the first portion is you have to embrace uncertainty. And I mentioned it before, when you embrace uncertainty, uh, I like the concept of the three A's, which is assess, anticipate, and then action. Uh, but you have to act. It's not just assess and anticipate. There's an action piece. As we know, leading requires action. Yeah. Um, and so I really believe that to be true. I mean, you have to pause. And that's that's the piece of surrounding with your teams and having conversation and learning what you can in the un unanticipated environment that's coming. Um, the next is you have to be empathetic with your teams to be successful. And what do I mean by that? You might have a trajectory, a direction that you need to go organizationally, but you have to look and make sure that everybody is functioning well where they are. Uh, and you may find that uh, the people that are that are rowing have had to put their oars down. No longer do you have the momentum that you had before. You may have to re-navigate your processes, uh, but you have to make sure that you have that gauge on your team. Um, and because if you do not, you're going to be running down the street and they're going to look behind you and there's no one following you. Um, and I think that the last one you already you already hit, which is uh, in crisis leadership, over communication is essential. It's not just communicating effectively; it's over communicating. 
And an over communication comes in the concepts around uh, not just updates, but levels of transparency when things are uncertain. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the leader saying, I don't know the answer to that right now. This is what I believe may happen, but these are the contingencies around that. Uh, and that, that, that transparency within that communication means a lot to individuals, but it also means as a leader that you're giving yourself a little bit of grace, especially when you are answering questions that you frankly do not know the answer to. Right. Um, I think if you, I mean, you, we could obviously go down many other different directions in those, but if you hammered those three things in a framework for that, I think you would do exceedingly well. I think they're perfect. And I, I'm literally going through a scenario right now where some big decisions are being made and um, it's offending some people or maybe it's affecting some people. They, they don't like the decisions being made, but here's the breakdown. It's not the decision. It was the explanation of why the decision was made because once the explanation comes through, it's like, mm. oh, okay, I, I get it now. Yeah. And so you're able to embrace it a little more. So that communication piece is, is it boggles my mind how we forget it, but, but we do. So, all right, we've talked about a lot of serious stuff. I appreciate it. You have a book you wrote, Standing Naked in the Rain. You're a man of great character. So when I saw the title, I'm like, <laughs> Standing Naked in the Rain, which I love the story in the book, by the way. If you guys can see it, it's a simple read. Um, it's about his dog, Toby. Um, and it had me, I'm, I'm just letting them know at the end, it had me in tears. So it, it was just a, a, a very personal book, Brett. Yeah. So my question is, why a book and why in book form? Why, why this story and why did this message have to get out? Well, I'll tell you, I think uh, everyone listening, everybody has a story to tell. And sometimes we do a great job of doing so uh, with those that are close to us, sometimes our family, sometimes our friends. Uh, and our stories may be those of legacy from our past. Um, and I think that the reality for me is that COVID gave me a moment before all the craziness settled in to reflect on what matters. Uh, and too often we don't take the time to recognize the things around us that we should be in awe in every single day. Uh, the abilities of our bodies. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a medical doctor, I'm a scientist. And to look at the things that we can do without even thinking about having to do it fascinates me and leaves me in awe. Uh, and this book is one of those things where at the beginning of COVID, the things we were talking about in January of uh, 2020, um, we had to put down our dog, Toby, who we had. He was a pound puppy that we got the Humane Society not far from where I work. Uh, we had him for 15 years. And the stories because of that dog were endless. Uh, and for those who are pet people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's always the story uh, or many stories that go along with your pet, whether that be a cat, a dog, or some other uh, pet that becomes family. The challenge with me was that... Um, it was a very difficult time for me because, you know, I was very attached to Toby. Uh, my kids, young teenagers, teenagers uh, struggled with that as well. Um, and part of it was a healing process for me uh, at the same time that I was facing a lot of these uh, inherent stressors. I mean, I felt like arrows were coming in all directions uh, because of COVID and the other things. And I needed an outlet to go ahead and, and ensure, number one, that the stories were, were still going to be told to my family. Uh, because so much can be lost when you're facing crisis issues uh, that uh, priorities get shifted. Number one. Number two, for me, it was an opportunity to put me in an environment that allowed me to share a little bit of the humanity uh, that we face every single day. And through the stories that you read in this book, 
uh, you will be laughing, you will be crying, and you will be reflecting on the things that perhaps you forgot about in your own life. Uh, and for me, it was an opportunity. Initially, it was just a way of giving back to my kids. The goal was to write it in the first year and to just share stories the subsequent Christmas, uh, you know, celebrating Toby um, uh, around, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the processes and the life that he had and the things along that. But it, it grew, you know, obviously through encouragement from talking conversation with you about your own, your own book and your adventure in that space uh, into uh, one that many said, you know what, Toby's story is a story of, of many of our lives. Uh, and so it, it should be told in a greater platform, you know, without having aspirations of anything profound, just an opportunity to share. And, you know, I would encourage everyone, like you said, it's a short read, uh, but it's for me, it's an impactful one. Uh, because each chapter that you read will allow you to reflect on the things that perhaps you should focus on, or at least remember. And in doing those things, it builds up not just your personal capital, but your leadership capital as well, as you navigate the things that really matter for you, will also help allow you to navigate what matters for your teams. I, I didn't see myself going here with, with this exact question, but I think it, it warrants it. So at the beginning, I read your very official profile, right? You know, and, and I, those are sometimes awkward, especially to hear our own profiles. We're like, um, to me, I'm sitting here saying that's a pretty amazing profile. Um, to the average listener, it's my listen, not to be disrespectful, but you're a listener too. To the average listener, it's kind of like ho-hum, get me to the, to the right stuff. But right. if you listen to your profile, you've had a successful career. the career or the memories and stories of the dog yeah i think there's a tremendous parallel there um i think what you'll find is a lot of what i wrote about i probably could not have written about 10 years ago and the perspectives that are shared and the value in that may not have been reflected uh in earlier stages of life i think that what i what i end up finding is that there is stuff that we learn as a leader every single day and our choice is not the necessarily the experience of it, but what are we learning from it and how are we applying it? Uh, and I think in that respect, uh, you know, I am a, it's even just taking the time to write it uh, has made me more reflective in positive way, positive ways. Uh, maybe it allowed me to be a better leader, better husband, better father, uh, better friend uh, in many regards. You know, and I think that that's, that's one of those things that, that, Scott, that you teach on all the time, right? It's value-based leadership. How are you bringing value to other people? Um, and I think that, you know, through a book like this, while the title, Standing Naked in the Rain, goes along with the chapter, and it might scare some people off. No, it is fairly ready G. There's nothing in there of concern. Um, but that being said, uh, it is one of these things where there are life lessons we have to take the time to look at, to reflect on, and, and, and use that to propel us forward. Well, I, I thank you for writing the book because, again, I, I read through it and, um, hey, listen, honestly, I started with the, why did Brett write this and publish this? You know, it's great personal stories. And I am very glad I stuck it out. I am so glad I stuck it out because, as you said, it generated stories from my pups, my mm -hmm. life. And it just reconnects us to what's most important anyway. Listen, I don't care who you are, in my opinion, Everything that you've done in your bio, I'm pointing to my screen with the bio, everything you've done with the bio, everything, any business owner listening's done with achievement, success focus, at the end of the day, if you really get to the why of any of it, 
It's about relational aspects. We want to be accepted by people. We want to be appreciated by people. And we want to be admired by people. We do it all. And you just bring us right back to it. So I want to thank you for the book. And, and listeners, I really uh, do want to ask you if you appreciate this podcast to make sure you go out, get a copy of this book. It's on Amazon, correct, Brett? Or where can yeah. we get our hands on this? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com. So either site, it's uh, ready for you. Awesome. Standing Naked in the Rain by Brett Nix. Um, Brett, I have one more question here, and actually two more questions. The first one is um, often when we see people of military, they're in their uniform, we see them at an airport, we see them out and about, it's common for many of us to go up and say, thank you for your service. Um, seriously, I feel like the healthcare landscape or, or the healthcare workers have really had to navigate a unique landscape because not only has there been a crisis in the physical aspect of their world, there's been a political aspect to this. People of all sides, this is not right, this is not wrong, and they've really had to navigate all of that. To me, they've been in combat for the last two years. And I know the war may not be over, but it, again, I'm, I guess I'm hoping and praying it's, it's nearing an end uh, or at least some normalcy. Uh, how do how can we really effectively say thank you for your service to healthcare workers and, and do it in a way that's meaningful? Boy, I think that uh, the answers will be highly varied depending on who you ask. I think for me, the most important thing that you could possibly do is to ensure that the things that you know you should be doing to take good care of yourself, continue to do that. Okay. There's no greater way to say thank you to the healthcare providers that you see for your normal physical exams or otherwise, uh, or moments of crisis, than number one, uh, to be grateful, but number two, to be compliant, you know, because we want nothing more than, uh, you know, my, my greatest my greatest ask is that I never have to see any of, the, any of our listeners in the emergency department, because when I, when I do, it's their worst day of their life. But the reality is if, if you are focusing on healthcare, the likelihood of navigating issues around sick care diminished dramatically. And there's no better way to say thank you than to take great care of yourself such that when you do come in, uh, it is in a critical moment and that's why we're here. And so no thanks is necessary for what we do. Uh, the greatest thanks we can ever have is again, people being respectful when they come visit because yes, we know it's a tough situation and circumstances are not perfect. We are facing a, nurse, a nursing shortage crisis that will continue for at least a decade, if not longer. Uh, that means that wait times are longer than expected, uh, hospitalization challenges, and hopefully outside of the, the COVID window, things will normalize, but they will never be the same. And we have to embrace that virtual platform that is growing. Uh, but that being said, uh, the simple things, take great care of yourself, do what you're supposed to do, follow mama's rules, uh, and be kind and respectful. It's amazing. When you maintain the vehicle, you don't have near as many repair bills. It's amazing, isn't it? it it's, it's amazing. All right. So, uh, Brett, we finished with this. Some people are going to be drawn to you. They're going to want to connect. They're going to stay connect you. You know, the best way to do that is uh, to take a look at my website. Uh, for those, especially in this leadership space, um, COVID drew one thing out of me in addition to the book, which is on a weekly basis for the first 10 weeks in the middle of all the COVID things, uh, I just poured into uh, the challenges I was dealing with in a way that would bring value to others. And so uh, my website is uh, brettnixmd.com. And if they put that backslash blog, it'll take them in. There's you know over 25 blogs that are on various leadership topics. The first 10 deal specifically with crisis-based leadership. Now, if you like what you see there, one of the things that you heard in the discussions are really around uh, the culture of care in an environment 
uh, just send me an email within that uh, asking for it, but I will give you what I call the Aspire framework, which is a framework for creating and sustaining transformational change in any organization. It is not specific to healthcare, uh, but the, uh, the Aspire framework uh, is going to be forthcoming in blogs uh, as far as content by content by content uh, and, uh, you know, God willing, a book that would follow. Awesome. Well, Brad, I want to thank you for investing in us and uh, showing more care and helping all of us be better leaders uh, and honestly better people. So again, thank you for your time today. Scott, my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for hosting me and uh, look forward to uh, the other podcast to come. Awesome. Thank you. Congratulations. You made it to the end of this show. This can only mean that you found the conversation and content relevant and beneficial to your growth and the growth of your business. If that is the case, please choose to subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice to ensure you do not miss a single valuable episode. And if listening on Apple Podcasts, your five-star review is also appreciated.